Hello, bonjour, swadika. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I am your, <laughs> and I am your host, not your coach, Anne Mulitala. Today, my guest is Rajesh Ramani. Rajesh is a teacher, a mentor, a coach. I met Rajesh about five years ago on a trip to Thailand, where I was lucky enough to do a couple of sessions with him, which were, let's say, transformational. Is <laughs> probably the best way to describe it. We have kept in touch, and I was lucky to be able to see him again on several occasions, both in Thailand and in Switzerland. And it's a real pleasure to be able to share this conversation with all of you. I hope that you'll greatly enjoy meeting or discovering Rajesh Romani. Hi, Rajesh. It's really nice to see you. Starting from the top, just because I want to, I want you to get a chance to explain to our listeners. Um, would you kindly introduce yourself and explain what it is that you do? In your own words, not in my words. Yes, yes. Uh, thank you, Anne, for having me in your podcast today. And uh, it's uh, wonderful to have known you for a few years, I suppose now. And then uh, we've been uh, meeting each other in different places, actually in Europe and in Thailand as well. So to introduce about myself, I am a spiritual teacher and a life transformation expert, mentoring expert, as we can call it. But these are titles that we all need to use at some point or time. But uh, giving you, you a background about myself, I come from India, from South India, where I was born and educated and in a middle class family and a bit orthodox religious family. I studied to become a cost and works accountant and I was working in a bank. That was the first part of my career. So I was there for around four to five years. And in the meanwhile, I had the opportunity to somehow, you know, I would say like now it would all uh, be like a miraculous uh, occurrences to meet my spiritual teacher. So in that period and then connecting to my spiritual teacher changed my life, I would say. It changed my life firstly in a qualitative way that I became more aware of myself. I became more aware of what I am inside and then how I am thinking and how I'm relating with people around me and with myself. And it gave a bigger awareness around my habits and my needs. So this transformation that started happening within me and continued for a period of time, the next few years, which eventually led me uh, to a conclusion one day that I thought like, you know what, I can do much more and help more people. My teacher was taking in monks as part of the monastery. So I went in there and then I wanted to become a monk and uh, so that I can go out and help more people. Because in the meanwhile, while I was working in the bank, I also used all my spare time to go and talk to people and listen to people. You know, I was also interested in a few social projects around uh, where I was working. I even signed up to go and talk about AIDS awareness. And I was just 21. It was an interesting experience because I was talking to all these older people in the villages and about awareness and around AIDS. And I was also talking about health awareness and sanitation and other things. So I didn't realize then, but it was the momentum that pushed me towards working with people. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, I'm a quite a shy, timid person. And, uh, you know, that's also till today, I'm that in my personal life. But I entered the monastery when I was 23 years old. And uh, I had already worked for five years in the banking industry. And uh, I come from a family of bankers. So it was not a surprise that I ended up there. But what was a surprise was that I left everything one day. I just walked out of everything towards finding this new life. The journey continued. I was trained in meditation. I was trained in philosophy. I was trained in mostly Eastern philosophy and mostly trained through personal experiences, transformative experiences. Interesting. So the, the personal experiences ranged from meditative experiences to energy experiences, through emotional shifts and shifts in the way I look at the world and I understand the world and myself, shifts in the way I see the mind and understand the mind. So we went into deep 
transformational processes, meditating for days in and sometimes without food, fasting. So all kinds of spiritual practices which were helping us, actually molding us in our own spiritual growth and also in trying to help our people. So, and it was not just being cloistered in a monastery the whole time because after every few weeks of training, then we were actually, we would walk, travel outside and stay with people, you know, run classes and work one-on-one with them. So it was a full-on exercise in two ways. In one way is to equip myself in my own spiritual journey and growth and in other sense to go out and share it with people either through retreats or through workshops or through individual one-on-one sessions. So that was my journey for 14 years of my life. Mm -hmm. So when the organization went through some kind of a schism, so Mm -hmm. then I found myself asking fundamental questions again about where I belong and what do I want to do with my life. But one thing was pretty clear was that I want to continue to work with people and help people. And I also want to continue with my spiritual journey. And then I walked out into the world and then my strength is what I would say is to convert all the spiritual teachings and principles to real life and to help people and everyone, including myself, to understand the world and to find the right responses to this world so that we live a fulfilled life and a life of happiness and peace. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you should say that it's not just for others, but for yourself. Because when I saw you a few months ago in Switzerland for that self-leadership workshop uh, that we'll talk about a bit more later, I really appreciated the way that you actually blended your personal experience to help the group understand the precepts and the teachings that you had to share. Because it made everything suddenly just much more digestible and much easier to imagine blending into one's own life. Yes, so absolutely true because, you know, we understand the world only through our perception and those are our actual truths. You know, if I speak about what you think, it is not my purview, it is not even my truth. So my truth is within myself and my learning is in myself, you know. So when I work with people, I always see myself not being different from them in any respect. So every story people come up with and I say like me too, Mm -hmm. because one part of me has gone through that experience, not to the same degree or not to the same level, but I can see myself in all those experiences. If someone says I'm a greedy person, I say me too. If someone says I'm comparing myself all the time, I say me too. Yeah. You know, all these experiences are absolutely true. And when they say they are aware and I say, oh, me too. Because all these are human experiences and we all encompass that in ourselves. So I think the power of learning comes from one's individual experiences. And if you look at in the past, all learning in whatever century people lived in, all learning happened through one's own personal experiences. And even the books that were written were all personal experiences. If you see most of the uh, so-called scriptures, and uh, philosophies of Hinduism and Buddhism, Mm -hmm. which I am much more familiar with. They are all personal experiences of people, what they went through, what breakthrough they got. It was not textbook kind. Most of them were personal experiences. Some of them were distilled into textbook style later on. So it is only human experiences of transformation, and only that will speak because it must be authentic. Sure. It's, It's story, basically. It's by reading story that you get to explain philosophy and spirituality. Yes, 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 yes. All stories are also reflections of human nature and human mind Mm -hmm. because it's only human beings writing those stories. It's actually funny, you know, because I listened to the webinar you sent me the other day Mm -hmm. and you know what stuck with me? (laughs) The story of Utkata. But do you mind telling that story? Because it was really, it was really interesting. Yes, it is the... You know, this story has been going around in different forms. And basically, this story is about a woodcutter. And he was a strong man with a powerful axe. And then he goes searching for an employment and he finds uh, a job. And, and, uh, and he starts cutting wood. So every day he would cut a number of trees and then chop them into small pieces. So the first day, apparently, he cut 10 trees and then... At the end of the week, he could only cut five trees. So 
he was a bit concerned about his own ability. So he thinks like, what is wrong with me? Something must be wrong with me. Am I not strong enough? Am I not good enough? What is wrong with me? So he goes and asks his boss, it's like, you know, why do you think I am cutting less number of trees now? I think I'm working hard or harder. And then the boss asks him the question, like, when was the last time that you actually stopped to sharpen your axe? He says, like, oh, I forgot that bit. And then the boss says, like, you know, that is the most important thing. You could put in so much effort, but giving time to sharpen your axe, though it may feel like, oh, it's a wasted time, but that sharpening of the axe improves your productivity. It makes it easy to go through whatever you are doing in life. And this sharpening of the axe, in this context, I would say is bringing Mm self-awareness and awareness into oneself. Because we, as a person or as a being, is the person who is relating with the world around us. And if we don't know who is relating with the world, we will not know what decisions we are taking and how we are relating to the world. So it is quite essential not only to understand the world around us, but also to understand the person who is understanding the world. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that is quite essential. That's why it is really, really important. Whatever the job, whatever the nature of work that we do in our life is quite essential to know oneself. It need not be to a spiritual end. It need not be towards enlightenment or any such spiritual needs. But even in a practical, pragmatic need, we need to know who we are and how we understand the world. For me, I also saw sharpening the axe was coming back to oneself rather than only awareness. Maybe it's just a different way of saying similar. I speak about self-awareness. That's what you are saying as coming back to oneself. Mm-hmm. It's a self-awareness. Sure. Yeah, because we spend so much of our time focusing on the past and the future, mm-hmm. focusing on plans, managing expectations, anxiety, hopes, dreams, future, etc., which effectively means that we're not present. We're not, we're not in the present moment. Yes, true, true. See, but the way our mind is structured, whenever we use the mind, the mind is basically a manager, one who knows to manage a situation. So the mind is also a protector. Its purpose, primary purpose is to keep you alive, physically, psychologically, and emotionally. So it goes around comparing, it goes around measuring everything, it goes around projecting future scenarios and trends and everything so that we feel safe now and also into the future. So the reason it goes into the past is only to project the future. So the past and the future cannot be separated from each other. People who live in the past also live in the future. People who live in the future also live in the past. But to make this mind come back to the present is is an exercise in itself. In one way, it is actually going against the nature of the mind itself. So living in the present is something that we need to understand much deeper. It is not just like, you know, staring at the pot of spaghetti in front of us. (laughs) (laughs) Although that makes me hungry because it's almost lunchtime here. Yes, true. You know, it is not such simplicity. You know, when people say like, you know, you should live in the present all the time, I would say like, that's a wishful thinking. But the truth is, when we say living in the present, it is also knowing how this mind is constantly taking us into the future or into the past. Mm -hmm. So because all the thinking about the future and the past is actually happening in the present. Only thing is we forget. We forget that it's happening in the present and we get carried away. Yeah. But if we have the awareness that it is all happening in the present, then we could actually happily sit there and let the mind play all these games (laughs) of the future and the past and enjoy it actually. You know, it is like watching a movie in a cinema, you know. At some point, if you believe this movie is absolutely real, then we either, you know, throw a stone at that or we get upset and angry or, you know, all of those Mm -hmm. things. But if you are so aware that you are actually watching a movie and in that awareness, you can actually enjoy it as a movie, as actors and as people there Mm -hmm. and as me. So it is the same with the mind. 
it's funny you're describing my meditation this morning. <laughs> I was much more, it was very movie-like. It was not, it was not massively focused, but I quite enjoyed it. I was like, okay, so this is what is going on now. There yeah, it is. True, true. You know, if, if, if all you have in your meditation is only a restless mind spinning movies after movie, why not that be the focus of your meditation? Sure. It, you know, we it, just it sit there and then watch. <laughs> exactly. We just see like, yeah, okay, movie day. And then uh, we watch it. That is the whole purpose that's, of meditation. That's a great way to describe it. I'm going to, it was movie day today. Yesterday wasn't movie day. Yesterday was. Exactly. Uh, what was yesterday? A loving kindness. It was meta. But today was mm -hmm. definitely movie day. Absolutely. You know, there's nothing wrong about that. You know, how many times in my practices that I've sat through a whole hour and then I walked away just saying one statement like, oh, it didn't happen. <laughs> oh, that's really good. I like that. <laughs> yes. See, you know, I, I feel meditation is a happening. You can only create. It is, it is not unlike sleep. You know, you can only create an atmosphere for it to happen. You sit in a proper posture. You, you know, shut off all the sensory inputs as much as possible. And then you have something to focus. And then it has to happen. So if we are patient enough with ourselves, with attention, with a bit relaxed posture and feeling, then meditation has a greater chance of happening. That sounds very wise and, and, and possible now. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'd love to ask you, maybe just segueing from meditation, how do you work with the people who come to you at Kamalaya? Maybe we could explain to the listeners where you are situated right now in, in, in the world. Yes, I, I live in Koh Samoy Island in Thailand. And for the past nearly 10 years, I've been working with Kamalaya Wellness Sanctuary as a mentor. So, you know, as many of you might be knowing about Kamalaya Wellness Sanctuary, it is a, it's an amazing place to be. It is a place where a healing of the body, mind and the spirit are addressed, not with any overtones of any spirituality directly or any hard work to be done, but it is more in a gentle space of creating one's own, you know, space to learn and grow and transform and also become healthier with a bit of pampering and amazing food, which is also healthy oh, at the same good. time. Yes. And all the different kinds of treatments. So, so we encompass a, a holistic approach towards living life and, and healing oneself. So I'm part of that team. And so I work with people on the mental, emotional and the spiritual part of their journey. Mm -hmm. I came to Kamalaya after I saw a friend of mine in London. She came into a conference room and she looked like she had a blazing sun radiating from within her. And then, and then fast forward, I booked myself to come to Kamalaya and maybe three or four days before flying, I lived in New York at the time. I bumped into a girl I knew in London called Chantal and we go for brunch and uh, she says, Oh, you're going to Thailand. That's great. She said, where are you going? And I said, Oh, Kusamui. And she said, Oh, where? The Kamalaya. And then she proceeded to tell me that she arrived there by chance one day. She booked herself in just for relaxation. And then after being nicely pursued by the naturopath <laughs> who kept on saying, are you sure you don't want to see a few therapists and have some massages? She then ended up seeing you. And I know she, her. I remember her. <laughs> so it was really fateful because I hadn't seen her for three or four years and I didn't even know she lived in New York. So then I got to Kamalaya and then mentioned that to the naturopath who said, would you like to meet Rajesh? I thought, sure. <laughs> Interesting meetings. Yeah. Fateful. Yeah, for sure. Fateful. Yes. One never knows. Yeah, exactly. So tell me a little bit, how do you approach the work that you do with the people who come see you? I remember during our first conversation, you told me that you worked a lot before Kamalaya with business executives. I know you still have a lot of people that you work with outside of the space of Kamalaya remotely. How do you work with them and give us a little flavor of, of what you do? See, I, I always start with what people come to me with. We don't have an agenda, of course. Sure. And uh, when people 
come to me with either they uh, they are stressed out or they have a private personal relationship issues or they have they are looking for what they want to do next in their lives so depending on where they are and where they want to journey next my job is basically to help them look into themselves and and as they look into themselves i also give them tools to look into themselves and i also show them how their minds would work i'm not telling them exactly how their minds work but i would show them how their minds could work and see whenever anybody sees what they are doing is not actually helpful with sufficient strength of awareness and attention mm-hmm. naturally there is an impetus to change it and transform it if you realize something that you're holding in your hand is actually weighing you down and then it's not actually helping you then there is a sufficient attention built towards that and an understanding about what it is causing you naturally there is an action that arises from that situation but many of us in life we end up carrying weird ideas emotions decisions notions opinions either about ourselves or the world carrying them for longer than necessary mm-hmm. you know what may have worked for us earlier at some point of time we're still carrying it 10 years later mm-hmm. and we still believe somehow it is part of us but it is not part of you just because you carry something for 5 years it doesn't become part of you sure it's still not part of you when that awareness dawns on them, either through practices or through workouts or through just plain contemplation or sometimes i take them through a deeper inner journey because sometimes it is not just their thinking but it's also their emotions that is involved sometimes it is much deeper than the surface level so i help them to look at themselves understand what they are doing if it is really helpful for themselves and with these three steps automatically there is an action that happens so i guide people towards achieving in one sense their potential mm-hmm. their potential could be in terms of achievement in their career could be in terms of their personal emotional and relationship life it could be in any area of life that they want mm-hmm. and yes that's very interesting uh, the reason why i was specifically turning to the business side is for a couple of reasons because i see this in my in my work life day to day now in in semi confinement in switzerland that it's really tough to be in business right now <laughs> around the world and that yes. there's a lot of weight on a lot of leaders shoulders whatever size teams whatever size business they manage given the current situation are there any sort of practices or that you would point for people to to support them in in crisis times like these yes so this is a kind of crisis that many of us never even imagined see nobody imagined that we would all be stuck inside our homes nobody imagined that we cannot even get a hug or a kiss and uh, another important area is you know, most people managed their stresses through getting out you know doing something going to the pub going for a walk going for a run doing doing all those external activities through which we manage our stress but in the if you take it in the business world not just as an individual but as a collective we still don't know the amount of damage that it has caused so everyone is trying to put numbers to it but those numbers are not final so we don't know you know we are going to uh, it's like a landslide that has hit us you know as we burrow down and then look at it and then we will see what is intact and what is not and how our behaviors as a society is going to change how behaviors as individuals are changing but in my experience what i see is people are responding to it in a few ways you know mm-hmm. there are some set of people who are confined at home and they are pretty much bored or they don't know what to do mm-hmm. and they are confined with people whom they are not used to spending so much time and it's all on their faces so that is one kind of suffering people are going through other kind of suffering is uh, people who are working harder than earlier because now all lines have been blurred or even disappeared between their personal and professional lives so and then so many people working from home or uh, or caregivers and they are working like crazy mm-hmm. so so there is the other extreme where people have lost their personal life earlier at least they had some kind of a inkling of it but now they have lost even that mm-hmm. so that is also happening on other end and how how people respond to this situation 
people are angry people are disappointed usually when they are angry or disappointed they have their ways of handling it now those ways have also been closed this is a huge thing so people are keeping it inside and then one gentleman recently in one of my calls asked this question you know he says every time he has this uh zoom meeting with his uh work team and then he sees this seething anger in people even as they sit in their own living rooms and then are in a part of a meeting there is this anger it comes out as jabbing statements and things so he asked me like how do i as the coordinator of this meeting actually help those people handle that anger mm-hmm. no i said like what people actually miss at this point is a human connection you know yeah. and create a simple human connection then we will all descend to be normal again just yeah. in our minds for at least for a short period of time mm-hmm. create more human connections let it not be like oh it's all business it's all business yes it's only human beings doing business it's not a two algorithms working to with each other <laughs> at the end of the day we are humans and if we forget that part we'll forget or miss out on everything else and handling this crisis ask yourself what is the most important thing you know survival always takes over it's all about you know the first survival is about the individual then the survival us of people uh, we are dependent on so whether it is a institution whether it is a business or is the industry so that's way so it's all a survival mechanism yes survival is really good but what level of survival are we able to see and encompass mm-hmm. so if we can encompass a bigger survival of a bigger scheme of things or people set of people mm-hmm. then if you are working towards that and what is the right thing to do in that scenario then we will have more space and choices and better choices can be made from that place if we are if we make ourselves smaller and then shrink to only my survival and what about me 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 if that question dominates a lot then we are going to suffer a lot and then we are going to hurt people right and left i'm not saying everyone is going to think about only the individual but i am saying you know if you are already used to thinking about your team or your business expand it a bit further you know wherever you are at present in your level of thinking there's always a shrink that happens when crisis when we are exposed to a crisis yeah always everyone shrinks to a much baser basic level sure so expand first see what is the right thing to do if i am not thinking about myself what is the right thing to do Mm-hmm. then go about setting an agenda to do that action when we work for the survival and best interests of a bigger society around us we will automatically be included in that and we will also be included in other people's circle sure so that means you know so many other people are working for our benefit as well this is the time to expand one's consciousness which is suddenly shrunk in the last 3 months expand it slowly and steadily to see a bigger picture and then see what kind of action that is possible for me don't see a picture which is too vast where we cannot act you no know, it's not like you and i sitting here and discussing about world politics while both of us are not in politics and have no say in any of those things so that doesn't work but if we can expand to the amount of the circle consciousness where we can make a difference mm-hmm. and coming that is where the heart comes in you know in terms of crisis in times of crisis the mind would usually take over to say like hey you know what this is my cup of tea i have to act now mm-hmm. the heart will be pushed into the background so bring the heart forward as well i'm not saying you should completely function from the heart it should be combination of the mind and the heart mm-hmm. the mind going for a survival mode the heart going for an expanding mode so as we mix and match both we'll find the right response but in realistic terms what should i do in realistic terms number one is bring more attention to your actions and your perceptions number two stay away from negativity whether negativity that is projected to us from outside or negativity that comes up within ourselves and number three invest on relationships you know one thing that this whole crisis has been teaching us is the importance of real relationships you know people who in the past believed their that their independence and their space and their their own time is all essential and then you know and they lived their life on their own terms suddenly find themselves unable completely lonely now you know even earlier they were this lonely but only on their own terms 
now when society tells us like you you cannot touch somebody else or you cannot go and visit someone else or you cannot go to a pub or a restaurant suddenly this urge and this need has popped up a lot this is, this shows deep inside we ache to be connected so cultivate relationships this use this as an opportunity doesn't mean we should all live in the same room and be connected all the time but the importance of relationships cannot be understated in terms of crisis Mm-hmm. and this is a well known fact or based on studies in the past whenever similar economic crisis has happened in the past where be it for an individual or as a society as a whole people who had better relationships survived it much better because they felt they were not alone they felt supported you know your partner or your parent or your friend may not give you the money or the best ideas to survive this but they may show the strength and the trust in you and then they may give the meaning and purpose in our life and this meaning and purpose brings this innate strength for us to overcome these challenges externally mm-hmm. so working on relationships are important and then the fourth on that what i would add is let us widen ourselves and then see the interconnected nature of things no if we want to survive this we are finding more and more that we have to be interconnected and we have to work together to get out of this you know all the political conflicts that are happening today is all about like hey we are all supposed to be working together but you didn't do this you didn't do that so we all assumed that we are all working together and then now we are fighting for it if only we had really worked together expecting something that like hey this is something that we have to work together and otherwise we there is no other choice or chance then i think this whole crisis could have been handled much better i'm not blaming one person or one group but it is all of us it's an impetus in all of us and we don't realize this unless we are exposed to some situation like this. and if understanding the interconnected nature of whether people or systems or of na- or of the whole nature itself of nature itself is a normal understanding like a ever present understanding in us when these kind of crises come about it will be so easy for us mm-hmm. we just have to regroup fast because we know how to regroup sure yes i appreciate that i deeply believe in our interconnected nature as human beings and across species on our planet so that speaks to me a lot we were supposed to see each other in march because you were coming back to zurich to do another workshop maybe you can tell us a little bit about self leadership and what you were building outside kamalaya with another couple of colleagues of yours yes 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 See, we are, we are we are building a platform uh, called self leadership days when we say self leadership days we give people an opportunity to come together work together and grow together so when we speak about self leadership it is the ability to know oneself to understand where we arise from to understand what are our needs our expectations from oneself and from the world what are our goals our targets our vision and then how best to prepare ourselves to achieve our own potential mm-hmm. so self leadership is self observation or self awareness plus knowing our goals and our visions with a target so when we practice self leadership then we not only work on ourselves but also work on the team that we, whether it is a organization or with your family or with the society everywhere and it is not restricted to an individual it is also for an organization the organization as a whole can practice self leadership you know and the organization as a whole can observe itself and how its culture is how its behavior the values and then you know the goals so when an organization is self aware and bring self leadership automatically there is greater level of accountability responsibility and right decision making mm-hmm. so through this platform we try to bring in principles from the spiritual world and the psychological world from my side and then my two other partners who are in the business world and one is in the educational world so we bring all our combined knowledge and expertise in trying to help people not only in the business in their business world and career but also in their personal life mm-hmm. the individual cannot be separated from their work you know whenever people ask me the question like 
work life and uh, work versus life i would say like no work is included in your life you cannot separate it that way so if it, as an individual we need to be fulfilled we need to be successful we have to redefine the way we understand success we have to redefine the way we understand fulfillment and achievement mm-hmm. so then it is possible the more smaller boxes we that we create about in life on a holistic or a complete sense we could be failures so it's mm-hmm. not about achieving in one small area of our life yeah it's about life in its totality it's, again it's a very holistic perspective yes exactly you mentioned about the conference that we were supposed to have in march uh the subject was to build emotional resilience yeah it sounds like so, a subject that's just really relevant right now yes exactly you know uh, this emotional resilience you now i've seen people who have responded wonderfully well in this crisis you know industry leaders and uh, people from different aspects of life these people have in one way or another practiced resilience mm-hmm. you know the resilience is the ability to flow the ability to let go the ability to not hold on tightly to an expectation or a view or an opinion or an emotion mm-hmm. you know and that doesn't happen in one day as i mentioned earlier you know when we encounter a crisis in life immediately we shrink means what we shrink to our base emotions our opinions our views our expectations so we naturally shrink so unless we have practiced to open ourselves again and again to let go you know again and again maybe it ideas opinions views emotions mm-hmm. and our expectations we cannot do it in a moment of crisis mm-hmm. you know so it's like exactly like that you know if i'm been running 10 kilometers every day or every week and then when it comes to one day uh, someone is chasing me i can really run longer <laughs> thanks that's a great metaphor <laughs> yes and i cannot suddenly start running 10 kilometers on a single day it doesn't work you know i will fall flat after a few hundred meters that's what happens we cannot expect ourselves to do all of that thing mm. so emotional resilience is a continued practice but to have an emotional resilience one should really cultivate one's mind you know we should start paying attention you know a mind which is not attentive enough the mind which is not focused enough doesn't understand what is actually happening so then we can know ourselves way only when you know yourself then you know that you are stuck in your views then when you know you are stuck in your views then we can exercise flexibility so then flexibility brings emotional flexibility sure then we see that how we are parked in either one end or the spectrum or the complete opposite of it mm-hmm. to go through this whole journey in knowing oneself how we are stuck no human mind is necessarily stuck in so many ways that is also a good thing because in one way we want to be sure about life we want to be sure about our position so that's why we our mind always wants to get stuck i like this okay i don't want to lose it sure certainly i want to get it back certainly grasping and greedily sticking Holding to certainty on. yeah yes yes absolutely and this is this crisis has pushed us all into this place of uncertainty we don't know nobody knows you know all the great political leaders economic advisors economic leaders medical leaders everyone is giving vague statements because basically nobody knows they are just projecting scenario after scenario nobody knows and this is creating immense insecurity in all of us and uncertainty in all of us mm-hmm. so how to handle uncertainty only when we have known how to handle uncertainty in the past people who have not known how to handle uncertainty who have just jumped from once uncertainty whenever there is an uncertainty exposed in one area of life they've just jumped to something else that is certain sure yes so they've not been trained to handle uncertainty uncertainty in terms of information in terms of control in terms of future so they've not trained luckily for me from my spiritual training this uncertainty was always there you know every day was a new day and every day anything could change mm-hmm. so we were exposed to that even in our monastic life it was like that there was sure. nothing uncertain about life so as we went through that life for 14 or 15 years of life automatically that is normal like ah uncertainty yeah i expected this it changed okay changed yeah. so i think you know you don't have to be in a spiritual world to do that 
know, uncertainty is an educator. It is everywhere in every area of our life. We just need to pay attention to it. And we need to develop that quality within us. And through these conferences, we give tools to people to do that. I think I understood you are working on, on bringing the conferences online so that you're not constrained by the current and possibly long travel bans that we're going to experience. Yes, we are exploring all kinds of avenues, you know, the online work as well as doing it in person, because I know some levels of knowledge and uh, knowledge transfer is much easier in an online setup. But when we go into more into a transformational mode, uh, which is what we are focusing on in these conferences, two things come into play. One is the group consciousness, you know. The group consciousness as a whole will help people to make this transition. It is not just individuals' understanding of concepts or digesting information. Oh, I can see It's much hear. more than that. Yeah. Yes, yes. And the second concept is also, also gives a space and time capsule where we are locked in so that there is much more focus and concentration. For all its upsides of online work, one downside is we are not sitting together for nine hours in a day or 24 hours together on an online setup. After one hour of a call, we all walk out and then move out into a different state of consciousness or a mindset. And that automatically takes away our focus. Some kinds of learning, it is necessary to sit with it, as we say, to sit in contemplation because it takes time for certain breakthroughs to happen in our mind. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the mind just reverts back. We, we used to say as an example or an analogy, we used to say, you know, if you want to dig a well to get water, you can't just go digging 10 feet and 10 feet in 20 different places. Of course, you have effectively dug 200 feet, <laughs> but you don't get water. So <laughs> nice. So it is with, you know, our effort. When we make effort, the effort sometimes needs tremendous concentration, tremendous focus. We are going to work probably with combination of both online plus in-person conferences. That's great. Uh, the reason why I ask is, listen, in the situation that we are in, one of the things that has appeared to me because I have access to technology, but I'm able to actually connect with teachers and friends and sort of participate with them in certain settings in a way that I wouldn't have expected in the past because we are in different continents. So I appreciate mm -hmm. what you're saying and that I agree. Mm -hmm. Having sat in retreats and sat with you at the previous workshop, I don't doubt that it's better in, in person and the group dynamic makes a really big difference. But I appreciate that some of my friends who I think would, <laughs> I don't mind saying it here, would greatly benefit and enjoy <laughs> the emotional resilience workshop. I hope you do something online because not knowing you, they might have not made the trip from London or somewhere else to come attend the workshop. So maybe you can, yes, maybe yes, you can yes. give like a, a reduced, like a, a taster version <laughs> uh, for people who might want to dig deeper later on. Absolutely, absolutely. We will be doing that. You know, even in the last podcast, we were uh, addressing those issues and then we'll be working on more podcasts or webinars and all of that, uh, both an online presence and as well as a physical presence. Mm. One of the things that I wanted to ask that that's going to come up for a lot of people, I think, around this time, it's it's how to handle grief. And obviously, you remember that the year that I did come to Kamalaya the first time, it was about 10 months after my mum passed away. Mm -hmm. Actually, I should ask you, how is your family? Yeah, my family, family yeah, they are good, but they are uh, in, in the epicenter of the virus, actually. So they are in the red zone in India. Wow. And they are fine as of now. They've been extremely careful and completely locked down in this period. They are, they are doing really fine. And they are much more uh, confident of uh, tiding going through this. But it is, a, it is a worrisome issue because I'm thousands and thousands of miles away in that sense. Not It's not just the dif distance, but it is the inability to reach them if, if anything happens. So that that is uh, much more uh, scary, mm -hmm. you know. So and uh, everyone knows that, you know, it's it's not like it's, it's not easy that way. But they are doing very well. Yes. I'm glad to hear that. Given the circumstances. Yes. Yeah. So some friends of mine have already lost a member 
of their family in, in the last couple of weeks. On Sunday last week, I got the bad news that one of my old colleagues had passed away, not from coronavirus, from cancer, but it was, it was a really big shock for, for everyone. And she was a fixture at the company that I used to be at very early on. And it feels like a whole piece of my life, you know, is crumbling in, in a way. But I'm very aware that a lot of us are going to be dealing with grief. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts or advice as to how we can consider working with grief. See, the best way to handle grief is to grieve properly. Yes. You know, people should not be hiding behind concepts of strength, concepts of I can do better than this kind of stuff, you know. And also there is no one proper method of grieving. It depends on the individual. It depends on the individual's relationship, individual's expectations from the world Mm -hmm. and from themselves. So it depends on the individual completely. But having said that, the individual should give themselves the freedom to express their grief. You know, this coronavirus time, the grief is compounded, not just because of the imminent threat of death, but it also it also takes away the usual methods of grieving away from us. What happened in countries like Italy, that is much more, much terrible. You know, you can't see your loved ones at all once they walk into the facility and then you have no idea whether they will be back out or not. There are no last words or lost kiss or lost hug. So there is nothing and nobody gives a hug just in case you don't return. No, we don't do that. So those are huge losses. And in terms of our inability to close, inability to have that kind of a closure. So that adds on to this grief. So I would say grieve openly. Allow yourself to feel the pain and suffering. Do not get caught up into statements of guilt because it's so easy in these situations to get caught up into guilt stories. Stories like I should have done this, I could have done differently, we could have done something else. You know, sometimes, you know, in many cases where we have seen is inadvertently people become the carriers of the virus to the older people in their family. One never knows where you get something. So, and in those cases, the burden of guilt will be much higher. I could have, I should have, you know, why was I so reckless? So being caught up in all those guilt trips, which our mind would want to because it wants to find some meaning for what is happening, becoming free of that is essential because then we are not actually focusing on the lost people in our lives, but we are focused on our own self. It is basically like me, 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 while someone else had suffered and someone else had passed away. So being aware of the guilt stories mm-hmm. being patient and kind with oneself through this journey you know the reasons of why it happened how it happened is not essential what is more important is to focus on the connection with such people with the, with the with the lost ones the times that we spent the meaning that this person brought to our life so all that is essential then we focus and grieve properly mm-hmm. Otherwise, we can park that as anger or guilt in some other parts of our life, which is not doing justice either to the other person or to oneself. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, I really appreciate that. I feel really lucky because even when my mom passed away, I never got caught up in the guilt. I think the guilt never really surfaced. Yes. See, the pain of the pain of the death will be there. You know, mm-hmm. initially the shock. Uh, will wear off and then the pain will start coming in and then it will take time to come in waves and waves so it doesn't have to happen in a uh, within three months or six months there is no fixed timing for this mm. it's just how each individual handles it and how close they were and what amount of shock it created in them so it, it has so many factors i would say give yourself time to grieve and mourn mm-hmm. Take the time. There is no urgency. It is not like, oh, I should get out of it within a few months or weeks or whatever it is. There's nothing like that. And it is one important thing that I would say here is, though it is a personal suffering, but it is also a collective suffering. Sure. We are going through a collective suffering in this regard and as an individual and as a society. And in one sense, if we recognize that, we will see this kindness and compassion spreading out to more people around us as well. And that way, the weight of personal grief will be much reduced. Most of us get caught up in the personal grief rather than the uh, actual suffering. Mm-hmm. I, I it see will that. be much better to handle that, yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, I think that will be really useful for a lot of people to hear. I, I reckon that's one of the most precious things that we did together is sometimes you also 
need someone else to allow you to grieve in a certain way. Sometimes you need the external affirmation or support that you can yes. let go into the tears and the flood and the Yes, it is it is quite essential, you know. In many of our societies, it is such a taboo to do that. And then, you know, people are all in some kind of a, a museum-like setting, you know, where you are not supposed to make any noises and you are all supposed to be in a library kind of setting. You're describing Switzerland you know? here. <laughs> <laughs> it is true in many societies, actually. And you know what used to happen? I, it still happens in India. They are, have these professional mourners. You know, in small villages and towns, have oh. professional mourners. Uh-huh. So they come in whenever they are. There is a death in some part of some family or something. They come in and then they sing these mournful songs and then they beat their chest and then they you know, wail, they go, <laughs> wail and then weep. And then anybody who is showing some kind of a stoicism and then, you know, trying to be all this, they go and, you know, like open them all up, <laughs> rip them all up, and then let it out. You know, the beauty of that experience is it's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's cathartic mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, they create this immense atmosphere for anyone to get out of it. And uh, then if you see them in a few days, everyone is jumping up and down and there is no no hush-hush, you know, it's all like celebration after a few days. So they could they could transition. And these are like kind of agents, as you say, you know, who go and do that. Mm. Because it is a norm in the society, so it is so easy for people to get out of it. That's, that's, <laughs> I like the idea of the professional mourners helping us get the tears out. That's, yes. That's very helpful. Yes, yes. Get get the drama out yes. there. Get the drama out, whatever it is, whether it is tears, guilt, anger, you know, anything that is there, suppress the shock, everything. Just let it out, bring it out. And then, you know, in the heat of things and then everything, let it out. And eventually, you know, the mind gets into its restful place automatically. So while you're talking about that, as you brought in the mourners, it made me think, I don't know why, this is a segue that makes no no real sense. The last conversation we had in Kamalai, we had a, a, a really great guided meditation, but we talked about Indian gods and goddesses. Yes. And yes. Uh, and and it feels like you, there's a god for every occasion. Is there one yes. that you feel, and, and I mean this in a, in a playful way, but is there one that you feel would be good to connect with at this time? as a source of comfort or to express the anger or the difficulty you were going through? So, yeah, it is can connect to the goddess Kali. Can you please explain yes. who Kali is for our listeners? So she, she's the feminine aspect of uh, chaos. So and then the rebirth of order from chaos. So she's in, in a sense, she's the destroyer, but destroyer of uh, those aspects of life which are already dying. So the universe is a constant dynamic being in a way, you know, the process. So whenever anything gets stuck and gets solidified, it has to be chiseled away. Mm-hmm. So and particularly the old and then the dying and then the rotten Kali is the goddess who comes with all the, you know, uh, the spears and then the uh, swords and everything and then tramples upon everything that is dead and evil in that sense. Mm-hmm. So it is not about individuals or people. It is about mindsets, ideas, views, systems. So whatever it is that is stopping us or stuck, mm-hmm. you know, that is where the focus is. So she is the goddess now and she is also this angry, you know, bloodthirsty one. That is the good one now <laughs> to be focused on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, you know, once you focus on that, then she morphs into the other one, the peaceful one. And, uh, you know, the one with silence and everything. she morphs into that one. Yeah, I had heard that Kali is one of the aspects of Shakti that's very connected to Mother Nature as well, right? And part of yes. what we see... Yes, yes. With everybody being confined in their homes is obviously our planet has a chance to breathe. So it feels very um, Kali-like, this sort of sweeping virus that is just locking us in our homes whilst the animals are just uh, going around and looking at us being locked in. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. You know, it is true, you know, as you say, you know, these are different aspects of Mother Nature. See, nature can be so protective and so nurturing in one sense and then nature has its fury you know we should understand the life in all forms of it you know, it's not just like nature is something that we have to overcome all the time not necessarily you know sometimes yes sometimes no so we just have to flow with nature and then we have to create this 
symbiotic relationship. And sometimes, you know, sometimes, yes, we have to fight nature. Sometimes, yes, you have to protect yourself. Some other times we have to flow with it. I believe, you know, we are digressing a little bit on this, but I believe, you know, in the past few hundred years, because of all our machines and every technology, suddenly we, to some extent, lost respect for nature. So not respect in a sacred sense, but respect in a power sense. Suddenly we didn't realize the power of nature. And we thought like, hey, I have got this and that and this, and then I can turn around rivers and I can empty the mountains and I can do so many other stuff. And then we got completely blindsided. So in spite of everything that we know and understand. Yeah. That is essential, you know, for all of our strengths, we need a sense of humility, you know, like the pale blue dot, as Carl Sagan said, you know, we are just a tiny dot, even to our own knowledge. It's not that we don't know it, it's absolutely known, but we are still that uh, tiny little dot. So when we understand that, then we act responsibly. It's not about nobody is going to save planet Earth, planet Earth will save itself. It's just like... How relevant are we going to be in this whole system? That is what we are more concerned about. So if we want to be relevant, we have to be acting with some kind of humility and responsibility. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. To be relevant, find your humility versus... Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Rajesh, thank you so much for spending all this time talking to me this morning. You're obviously a very, bal- well, you seem, <laughs> you're a teacher, you're a very balanced person. What are you really not good at? A million things. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you can, if, if you can list them and then you could go much more. <laughs> sure. Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it is only our ego which says we are uh, good at everything that is absolutely nonsense. <laughs> so we are good at maybe a handful of things to some extent. Even, you know, we are the judge of our own levels and standards. That's it. Sure. <laughs> so tell me, what book are you reading at the moment? Anything that you've enjoyed recently that you would recommend? Uh, I've been reading two books, actually. One is on the Bhagavad Gita, because oh. you know, uh, yes. and I've been uh, uh, reading it uh, now. But it's a slow read because it's not about reading the book, but it's about meditating on it. Uh-huh. That's been one. And then the other book was, this week I picked up on the 50 Greatest Short Stories collection. So from around the world. So that's a nice book that I've been reading the last few days, I would say. Mm, That sounds lovely. It has everything uh, in it to create uh, a life of great potential. Mm -hmm. And then I know that you are sometimes partial to Netflix. Any anything good you've watched lately? Uh, you know, I, I've been trying to watch a few things on the on friends' recommendations, mm-hmm. but then you know they push me back right away. You know, I, you know how many series that I've stopped after fifteen minutes because I couldn't take on uh, <laughs> the commitment. The Is it the commitment the or the violence? Okay, <laughs> and both, both. You know, a bit of violence and then then i think like oh, am i going to spend like four seasons and uh, like 440 hours or whatever it is of my time on this story so uh, then it kicks in so but i've been keeping myself watching something lighter like i've been watching something called kim's convenience store it's some know. kind of a comedy from canadian comedy oh cool so yeah that 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 keeps me feel good so okay. i get yes. that but is there any anything else you would like to sort of add to anyone who's listening? See, one, one, one thing I would like to add here is focus on two aspects of life. The first aspect is to strengthen your awareness and your attention. The more we know, the better we are informed about ourselves and the world, the better our responses to life. It is quite important to be more aware. And secondly, be kind. You know, there are a million factors that are functioning upon us. We are not the center of the universe. And even within this world, we human beings are also part of this big recycling system that has been happening. So even in the emotional and the mental sphere, there are so many factors that affect. So be kind. Be kind to yourself and see the other person next to you is also caught up in the same mess, you know, be it mental, physical or emotional, and then be kind to them. If we practice these two things, we'll have a much, much, much better life and all our responses would come from a greater place. You know, that brings humility, that brings gratitude, that brings all the other stuff that is necessary for life. And that brings an enormous success, which we can all partake. Yeah. Thank you. That's, Thank uh, you. 
That's beautiful. Um, if people want to get in touch with you after this, they can find me in my LinkedIn account, which I'm sure. more active. Okay, so yes. I'll post it and in the show notes as well. And also, they can find uh, me in uh, at Kamalaya in Kosamoy, Thailand, or they can also find me in selfleadershipdays.com. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. They I can list- find me through you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'll put all of these links in the show notes. Yes, please do. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Have you, a Anna. wonderful rest of your day. And Thank you. Um, we'll speak again very soon. We'll speak again very soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I hope that you've enjoyed my conversation with Rajesh. You can find more details about his project, selfleadershipdays.com. He will be offering some online courses later on in the year, if I'm correct, uh, particularly around the subject of emotional resilience. Of course, you can also find further details about him at kamalaya.com. All details are included in the show notes. So feel free to rate and review this podcast. And of course, subscribe. Until next time, thank you again for listening. Be well, wash your hands. Um, Yeah, continue to social distance. All of that good stuff. Thank you.